Well, it's great to be able to share God's word with you today. My name's Brian, and I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I have a special guest with me. This is my wife, Becca. All of you probably recognize Becca. She's our worship director here and a great teacher of God's word, so it's just, it's wonderful to be joined with you today. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> we uh, are continuing on in our sermon series called The Red Letters. We're looking at the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And we're in this year called Ignite Compassion, and we're specifically right now praying this prayer of, Lord, give us your eyes. We want to have the eyes of Jesus in order to see people the way he sees them, but also we want to be able to see the way that God is moving so that we can join in. And so we thought the best way to do that is looking at the words of Jesus, and we chose the Gospel of Luke. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to teach and tell the story to start, And then we want to look at each of the characters in this story. We're looking at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Uh, So we want to look at the different characters, the three characters in this story, and see the lessons that we can learn. And then we want to um, share a question with you that I believe is probably one of the most important questions you could ever ask yourself. So that's our outline. Let's start by looking at the passage. We're going to tell the story and teach along the way. Again, I want to encourage you to open uh, your Bibles or uh, a device so that you can be looking at Scripture as we go through it, and, um, and we'll go from there. But Becca's going to start by kind of setting up uh, the setting of this story. So we're in the passage of Luke. We're in chapter 7, and we come on the scene of the home of a Pharisee, and this Pharisee has invited Jesus now over for dinner. Um, I like to call him the reluctant host of a Pharisee, and you're going to kind of see why as we unpack the story a little bit more. But right off the bat, Jesus is there, and the Pharisee does not offer to wash his feet, which was very customary, especially when you had a guest in. So a lot of the schools of thought behind Jesus being at this Pharisee's house were uh, the idea that usually when a, uh, a rabbi would come into town and maybe speak at the local synagogue, then they would go to the leader of that synagogue's home afterwards. And that could be one of the situations here. So we find ourselves at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And Jesus is now here, and he's reclined at the table. It's also important to know that both the Hebrew and the Roman way of eating, they would set up their tables in kind of a horseshoe shape, and they would sit along the outside of the table on low cushions, usually reclined. Sometimes they would lay on their left side, and then they would be able to eat with their right hand. So their feet were often stretched out behind them, which is important as we get into this picture. So now we have this rabbi, we have Simon and Jesus and all the guests reclining around the table, and in comes a woman. We're introduced to a woman. Now, she's said to be a very sinful woman. We don't know her sin, but everybody in the town apparently did. She was known as a very sinful woman. And um, she comes into the house. You have to get out of your mentality of like our New England colonial when you think, how in the world did this woman get into the house? A lot of the times when people would eat, their eating areas would be open, outdoor eating areas. So oftentimes on a porch, sometimes on a roof, usually in a yard. And so they're in this open kind of backyard area of the home and they're eating. And this woman learns that Jesus is there. And so she finds Jesus and she comes to him and now she's sitting behind him because his feet are stretched out, reclined behind him. And she begins to kneel at his feet and she's weeping and she's weeping so much that it wets his feet and she begins to wash his feet with her hair. And if that isn't enough, she begins to kiss his feet and she begins to anoint his feet 
with perfume, an expensive perfume. I think sometimes when we read these stories in the Bible, we kind of gloss over them, especially as a kid who grew up in church. I've heard these stories so many times. But when you put yourself in this scene, it is, it's, a, it's a pretty surreal experience. And I would think that even awkward maybe at times. So all these guests are there, and there's this woman who is wailing and weeping and crying at the feet of Jesus and anointing him with perfume. So it's into this moment then that the passage continues, and we're allowed into Simon's thoughts at this point. And he begins to think. He says... If this man were a prophet, so now we know he's, he's already kind of checking out Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. So Simon begins on this thought process uh, of reasoning to try to figure out who Jesus is now. Okay, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know a person's character. And if he knew her character, he would want nothing to do with her. And so he draws this conclusion that since Jesus has accepted this woman, he must not know her character. And since he doesn't know her character, Jesus isn't a prophet. And so you were almost allowed into this thought pattern that Simon now is entering into as he's observing this rather awkward scene as, as a host of Jesus. And, and I, almost, I can almost see him kind of getting to that aha moment like, got it. I've got it all figured out. Okay. I've got Jesus start handing out the to-go boxes, wrap up the dinner, everybody can go. The point of this dinner was to figure out who Jesus was. I got Jesus all figured out. I know who Jesus is. He's not a prophet. If I could just offer a little word of caution in this moment, I would be careful to ever assume that you ever have Jesus all figured out. Hmm. We will never have the King of Kings all figured out. There is always more of Christ to discover. And so it's in this thought pattern of reason where Simon's like, all right, I'm figuring everything out. I've got it. I'm drawing my conclusions. I know where I'm going with all of this, that Jesus interrupts. And he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he interrupts Simon's thought patterns. And he interrupts the conclusions that Simon is drawing about Jesus, and he begins, he's going to tell him a story now to kind of turn his thinking inside out and upside down. So at this point, Jesus takes over. This is the first time that he says anything. He's kind of been observing what's happening. He's allowing this woman to wash his feet. Now he's reading the thoughts of Simon. This isn't the first time Jesus would read the thoughts of somebody in the Gospel of Luke, but here he's doing it again. And then uh, Jesus begins to teach. And he does it by, by telling a story. He tells this story that includes three people, a money lender and then two people who owe that money lender money. They both have debt. And the two have debt, but different amounts of debt. The first has 50 denarii worth of debt. That would equal about two months worth of pay. Uh, the second has 500 denarii worth of debt. That would equal about two years worth of debt. And... Um, Jesus makes a point in the story. He says that both of them couldn't pay off their debt, mm -hmm. which is an important message that Jesus says neither of them could pay off their debt. The one who had 50 couldn't pay it off and the one who had 500 couldn't pay it off. They didn't have the means. Neither of them had the means to pay off mm -hmm. their debt. And then Jesus says the money lender, however, had grace on both of them and relieved both of them of their debts. And then Jesus asks the question, who would love the money lender more? And Simon answers that question. He says, well, the one who was relieved, forgiven more, would love more. And then Jesus says this interesting thing. He says, you have judged 
correctly. Mm. I think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. statement, actually, because you know, Simon, as a Pharisee, he would have looked at himself as an expert judge. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus says, you have judged correctly. When you put it through your logical reasoning and thinking, yes, the one who is forgiven more would love more. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Then Jesus begins to apply this, 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 this story. Now remember, his question to Simon is really about the response of the ones who have been relieved of the debt. Who would love? Who would show more love? Uh, the one who was forgiven 50 or 500. So it's about response. So now Jesus applies it directly to the situation that's happening right around that table. And he says, listen, uh, and he, he looks at the woman, but he's still speaking to Simon. He says, you know, when this woman came in, she, um, she did everything to, 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 to really host me well. Uh, she has washed my feet. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. She's anointed me with perfume. And then, he, and then he says to Simon, um, your behavior, on the other hand, actually, you didn't do any of these things. When I entered the house, you didn't greet me with a kiss, which would have been customary. Yeah. might be weird today, but it was customary then. You didn't wash my feet or even give me water to wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Um, but this woman has shown great love to me. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I think it's probably because she knew she received so much in Jesus, and so now she's, she's demonstrating this, this love. Um, it appears like Simon's hosting Jesus in this moment because you could say, well, he's the host because it's his home, it's his food, but really it's the woman who's hosting yeah. Jesus well. Um, she's the one who's, you know, at all cost, boldly um, hosting Uh, the presence of Jesus. And then in in the last part of our passage, Jesus speaks directly to the woman now. Mm -hmm. And I love this, is that he really honors this this woman. And I I just, I'd love for you to imagine hearing these words from Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, your sins are forgiven. Just imagine hearing like the voice of Jesus. If you're standing, sitting right before us, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then later he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, this woman who probably didn't have much peace in her life, this woman who was an outcast, was told by the king of kings, man, your sins are forgiven. You should go in peace. And then it left all the house guests asking this question, who is this? Well, who is this yeah. who can forgive the sins of, of people? Well, what we want to do now is we want to look at the three characters in this story. We want to look at Jesus Simon and the woman, because as you look at these three different characters, uh, you can really learn quite a bit. And so we're going to start by looking at uh, the character of Jesus in this story. And, and Becca's going to share a little bit about some of the lessons that we can learn by looking at Jesus. As we look through this story and we really lean into what Jesus is speaking to us and what is he revealing about himself, there's just two things I want to highlight. And the first one is I'm so, I was so startled at how Jesus compassionately interrupted Simon. How he, he interrupted. Simon was beginning to draw these conclusions, go down a road of thinking, and, and Jesus calls him out. He interrupts and, and he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. He's a compassionate interrupter. It reminds me um, in Matthew 4 when Jesus is calling Peter and Andrew to come and be fishers of men. And we have to not think about the way that we fish. Growing up in Minnesota, I was an, a, a fisherman's, an avid fisherman's daughter. So I fished all the time, year-round, whether the lakes were frozen or not. Which and, I don't fish at all. 
which I don't know why yes. your father accepted me. There are lots the of stories to tell about <laughs> that, by the way. Who had to take the fish off the hook, just so you know. Um, um, but so we grew up fishing. It was very fun. But what we always learned was what fish would take the bait of which lure. And so you had to get the right lures, and you lure the fish. And the idea is that you cast your um, lure into the water, and it, as the fish was going along, it would be lured away um, by what you had, by your little, like, tempting thing on the hook, and then you would catch the fish. Well, this is not how, as many of us know, in biblical times that they would fish. They would cast large nets over the sides of boats, and a huge schools of fish would come by, and they would be swimming in their normal patterns, their normal migrations, normal places that they would often visit, their routines. And as they were going about their routine way, they were stopped in a net. And, and I love that picture of how Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the grace of Jesus is like that net in our lives. It, it, it he drops that net of grace in our lives and it stops us in our tracks. And that's what Jesus is doing right now in Simon, in his thinking pattern. Simon is figuring things out. He's logically reasoning and coming to conclusions. And Jesus says, I'm going to drop my net of grace. I'm going to stop you where you're at right now. I'm going to bring you to a halt and I'm going to redirect you. I'm going to redirect you into a new way of thinking. I'm going to redirect you into a new perspective. I'm going to draw you out into a new kingdom. I don't know if you've ever looked back on your life and you can say, that is where the Lord dropped that net of grace in my life. Hmm. I recognize it now. Hindsight, so is 2020. When we're kind of being stopped in our tracks and doors are closing in our way, sometimes it's very hard um, to, to see what God is doing. But some, a lot of times... A lot of times we can look back and say, yeah, that was the Lord protecting me from something. That was the Lord stopping me in my pattern of thinking, in my perspective, in my way of going forward. By his grace, he dropped his net of grace and he interrupts our lives with it. And, and I just, I know I want to become a Christian. I want to be the kind of person who welcomes the interruptions of Jesus in my life. I want to be a person. I want to wake up every day and say, Lord, if there is any pattern, any routine, any schedule, any, any pattern of thinking, in any, anything that's unhelpful that's making me a dry toast Christian, where I'm just going along kind of on autopilot, would you stop me? Would you drop your net of grace in my life and redirect me and, and pull me into your kingdom thinking? And so that's the first thing I wanted to highlight. Jesus, he so compassionately interrupts Simon and invites him into a new way of thinking about his kingdom. And then secondly, I love how Jesus welcomes everybody. As you read through the scriptures, Jesus welcomes everybody. He welcomes people from the poorest to the richest, from, from the demon-possessed woman to the religious elite. In this story, you have the Pharisee and you have a very, very sinful woman, so sinful the whole town knew about it. And Jesus, he didn't stop anything that was happening. He welcomes everybody. I think it's good to remember that in, in, this, in this point that Jesus is not embarrassed by our sin. Sometimes we have the wrong pattern or the wrong image of Jesus. And so when we're so ashamed of our sin and we don't even want to confess it, we run away from Jesus. Mm -hmm. We think we're actually hiding it from Jesus and hiding, we may be hiding it from other people, but we're certainly not hiding it from the Lord. But we shy away and we draw away from the Lord in our embarrassment. But Jesus is not embarrassed by our sin. 
He, he's not. And, and I love that image that you brought up last week about how Jesus stopped the funeral procession and he touched the coffin, which was kind of like a no-no for everyone. Mm. And Jesus was not afraid to reach out and touch that coffin. He wasn't afraid of catching that. What he wants, like you said last week, I love it, when Jesus touches us, that we catch a little bit of Jesus. And so Jesus isn't embarrassed by our sin. We can run to him like this woman did, lavish him with worship, cry out to him, confess to him, and and worship him. So he's not embarrassed by our sin, but he does desire to see us all come out of our sin. Mm. Um, Growing up in the church, I often heard the phrase, he loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And that's, that's a good thing to remember. I sometimes, I know me personally, sometimes I'm not sure we take sin seriously enough. Mm. Um, we even call it mistakes, you know, flub ups, you know, something that doesn't sound so harsh, but it's sin. Mm. And, and I think of um, our gossip, and I think of criticism, and I think of unforgiveness, and I think of quarreling, things that are rampant, actually even in the church. And, and that's sin, and the Lord calls us out of that. It is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. God is not joking around about sin. He does not take it lightheartedly. It's sin. Our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Our sin drove the nails into the hands of our Savior. Christ gave his life. It cost him his life. We're not, the Lord's not joking around when it comes to sin. It's a serious matter. And I would say that we need to take it very seriously. Sin seriously. And if you call yourself a Christian, we're actually commanded to go and sin no more. We're called to repent of our sin, to turn and actually go the other way, to run from sin and to flee from it. And then in 1 Peter, he says, be holy. The Lord says, be holy. As I am holy, we're reminded of that. The Lord had given it even back in the Levitical law. And so we have a huge calling on our life. And, it, and a big part of that is understanding the weight of sin and that God does not take it seriously. And the last thing I would just say quickly on this point that I love is um, that Jesus welcomes everyone. He doesn't just welcome everyone. He loves everybody always. Everybody always. And if you are looking for a fantastic book, get the book called Everybody Always. It is a fantastic read that you can read with your family, and uh, it will really challenge and revolutionize the way that you think about love. But Jesus loves everybody always. We want to now look at another character in this story, and that is Simon the Pharisee. So as we look at Simon the Pharisee, there are some things that we can learn And they're very different from the lessons that we learn from looking at Jesus. And so what do we learn from looking at Simon the Pharisee? Let me say just a couple of things. The first is this. When when I look at Simon the Pharisee, I see that his pride clouded his vision. Um, You know, if we're in a year called Ignite Compassion, and we want to see people the way God sees them, even further than that, if we want to see God moving, the thing that will stop our vision, will cloud our vision, is our own pride. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think probably the biggest idol in today's society in our Western world is, is self. Mm-hmm. And we are, we are proud people, and we need to acknowledge that. And I, I think if, if we don't confront our pride and lay down our pride, uh, we won't have the kind of sight that we're hoping for and longing for. And we won't have the sight of, of Jesus into our world. And this is what's happening with Simon the Pharisee is that 
his pride is clouding his mm-hmm. vision. Um, he's got everything figured out, as Becca said earlier. He, he's put it through his paradigm. He's put it through his algorithms, and, and he's figured it out. Well, Jesus, he, he's not concerned about this woman. Therefore, he's not a prophet because he doesn't see that she's a sinful woman. If, if he did, he wouldn't want to be around her. Uh, we all know that. We've got it figured out. You're not supposed to touch sinners. You're not supposed to be in the company of sinners in this way. You would throw her out. Um, so he's putting it through his paradigm, and, and it's just not, it's not equaling the Messiah. It's not equaling um, the King of Kings. And so he disregards Jesus. And it's all out of his pride of, of, of believing that he's got it all figured out. And, um, and this pride just really clouds his, yeah. his vision. He, he built a box for what the Messiah should fit into. And when Jesus didn't fit into it, he disregarded Jesus yeah. altogether. And, and that came in his, in, his own, in his own pride. And as I think about that, I think about the fact that our pride keeps us from Jesus so often. Yeah. You know, if, if you're too proud to forgive, you're being kept from God's very best for you. Uh, if, if you're, if you're pr- too proud to, to forgive somebody, you're going to miss Jesus. If you're too proud uh, to see it any other way, well, then you're probably going to miss the things of God. If, if you're too proud to, to allow God to break your box, well, then you're probably yeah, going to miss um, a lot of the things of God in your life. Our, our pride can be uh, something that really just keeps us from seeing uh, God in our life. So I wonder, is, is your pride clouding your vision of, mm-hmm. of seeing God? Um, you might be thinking to yourself, listen, I've got it figured out. I know how God works, and so I know how to expect God to work in my life now. Well, if that's the case, if God decides to operate in any other different, in a, in a different way, you're going to miss it because of your pride. Uh, maybe you think to yourself, well, I know I'm right. In this case, I know that I'm right. I know that I'm right. That never happens to me. No. <laughs> I know. I know that I'm right. I would, I would say maybe you need to ask yourself, are you being stubborn yeah. right now? Are you, are yeah. you unable to see it in yeah. another way? Um, maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, maybe your pride says, listen, I'm good. I'm, I'm a good person. Um, man, especially when I look at other people. Yeah. Man, I am really good. <laughs> Therefore, I am good in the sight of God. Um, I want to tell you that I think that kind of pride will keep you from God's best for you. And, um, and, and this is what happens in, in Simon's case is that he's, he's cl- his vision's clouded by his pride. The second thing I'll say about Simon here that I think we learn is that he was blind to his own sin. In fact, he didn't think he had sin. Um, Simon was really good at comparing himself with, with others. And so when he saw this, this woman walk into the room, he thought to himself, wow. 500 denarii in debt. Mm. It's like Simon was really good at whenever someone walked in the room of seeing the weight of their sin above yeah. their head. Uh, but for him, he, I don't even think he thought he had any. Mm. And I think as a Christ follower, that's the worst position you could be in yeah. is to think that you have no debt whatsoever. Because uh, when you think you have no debt, then you can never experience the full grace of God. Yeah. You can never experience yeah. the greatness of God if you don't think you have any debt. I think it's really interesting that um, when Jesus commends Simon, he says, yes, you've judged correctly. Remember the question was, who loved the moneylender more? And Simon says, well, the one who was forgiven more. You have judged correctly. I think that Simon was looking at this whole story that Jesus was telling as a judge, because this is what he was really good at, right. judging people. Mm-hmm. 
Ah, that person. I know how much sin they have. That person. Mm -hmm. Wow, they have a lot of sin. I can see it. I'm a great judge. What if Simon positioned himself in a different way? What if he positioned himself not as the judge, but as the one who was in debt? And he looked at this story as a one who was in debt. I think when we look at this story as a person who's in debt, we don't see the amount of debt that's on the person. Instead, we see the, 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 the measurement of grace that we've been given instead. Wow, it doesn't really matter if I had 50 or 500. What matters is that I was in debt and I'm no longer in debt. Yeah, yeah. And I think at this point you learn too, you'd learn whether it's 50 or 500, I can't pay it off. Um, now this is gonna come as a big surprise to you. Big, big. What's that? I don't think I can bench press 300 pounds. The biggest surprise. Shocking. <laughs> shocking to you, it's right? shocking. I don't think I can bench press 300 pounds. I <laughs> because also, you're bench pressing all the time at home, yeah, by the way. But here's the other thing. This is going to be even more shocking. I don't think I can bench press 500 pounds, mm. right? So I can't bench press 300. I can't bench press 500. Let's just say I try to bench press 300. I'm guessing what would happen is it would land on my neck. And I would be desperate yeah. Yeah. for somebody to lift it. Now that, that could be 300 pounds, that could be 400 pounds, that could be 500 pounds, that could be 1,000 pounds. I'd be in the same yeah. position, yeah. crushed by this weight, yeah. desperate for somebody to come and lift it off of me. Now, now the gospel message is this, it's not about the amount, the weight, yeah. because you can't lift it, it doesn't matter. 300, 500, 1,000, doesn't matter. But the gospel message is that someone comes and lifts off the weight. Now, who's more excited? The person who had 300 pounds on their neck or 1,000 pounds? I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. No. What matters is that the weight has been lifted yeah. and you've been set free. And so again, I think it's all about the response. Mm. It's all about the response. Listen, we could argue about the weight of sin on you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's more about is there, is there appearance of sin at all? Mm. And the answer is yeah. yeah. And, and none of us can pay it off. So we all need this Savior. And praise God, we have him. Mm. Um, Simon missed that. Yeah. But let's look at this woman because there's a lot of lessons to learn from the posture of this woman. And I'll just share briefly and then I'll, I'll hand it off to you, Becca, because uh, two things we want to point out. The first thing about this woman is that she knew what she had received. She knew what she had received. Apparently, whether she had heard Jesus' teaching and been affected that way, she sought Jesus out. So she had received something from yeah. Jesus already. Um, and so she came just ready to, to worship this Jesus. She knew what she had received. I think we probably all walk this planet not knowing the extent yeah. of what we've received. Yeah. And, and really, our, our pursuit in life until we make it to heaven is to discover what we've received. Yeah. Because the more we discover, the more we're going to be prone to worship and, and experience the goodness of God. And this woman, she knew what she received. Um, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but you received a gift from your mom. And, and I think it was a purse. She and, gives um, lots of gifts. She gives lots, lots of, really, of gifts. really, really good gifts. Yes, and usually I get you a gift, and your mom gets you the same gift, but a better, a better version one. of it, yeah. which is wonderful. So you got this <laughs> purse, and you really enjoyed this purse. You liked yeah. the purse. Yeah. But then your mom called, and it was like almost like she was prying, asking you questions about the purse. Well, it turned out that there was a really um, full 
uh, gift card mm, gift in card, the yeah. purse that you hadn't yeah. discovered yet. Yes. And so you're carrying this purse around thinking that you would receive this great gift, but actually you had gotten an even better yeah. gift that you didn't even know about. And probably I would, a tractor supply gift card. Probably a tractor supply gift favorite card. Store. Her favorite store. <laughs> uh, and uh, I wonder for us if we even know um, what we've received. Yeah. This woman, she knew what she received. Uh, she knew that re she received grace, which is she received something she didn't deserve. She, I think she knew she received mercy, which means that she didn't get what she did deserve, mm. <laughs> judgment, yeah. you know, condemnation, death. Um, I think she knew she was in the presence of the king. Uh, she received the presence of God. I think she knew she received um, just forgiveness. And so she responded um, just in an amazing way, which leads to the, to the second point we want to share about this woman. Yeah, I love how she responded. She responded so well. Yeah, it's because she knew who Jesus was. She'd at least yeah. been watching him because she wanted to be exactly where he was. She wanted to follow him around. And so when she was able to be where Jesus was, she responded really well. And it's such a, it's a really beautiful picture, like a 360 picture of what worship, what wholehearted worship looks like. She sought him out. She sought Jesus out. She went after him. She learned where he was, and she had been doing this before because she knew who he was. So she learned where he was, and, he, and she courageously approached Jesus and worshiped him. She had every reason to not be in that house. This was the house of the elite, educated, uh, successful, the highest in society, and she was a sinful woman that everybody knew of. She was very low in society, and she sought him out and pursued Jesus and fell at his feet. She didn't care what people thought. It was more important that she fall at the feet of Jesus than, than, she, than other people's opinions of her. And, and so she courageously, I mean, that took a lot of courage. I, I cannot even imagine the kind of courage that it took for her to approach and fall at Jesus' feet in front of this select group of people. And then she honored the Lord. What a picture of honor, uh, just washing his feet. I love that, that um, she took this role of a servant, of washing Jesus' feet with her tears. I mean, here's the, the host of the home doesn't even offer to wash Jesus' feet, which is very mm -hmm. traditional. And, and, and she washed Jesus' feet, and she took that servant role, of which Jesus would then model and show us how to serve one another by washing his disciples' feet. That was a servant's responsibility. And she fell at his feet, and she honored him as a servant. And then she gave sacrificially. She gave everything. I love that it said she poured out her perfume on Jesus. This fragrant offering that would be offered to a king, to, to have the fragrance of a king upon him. And she poured it out. She didn't dabble it on Jesus. Dab it just enough, you know, to kind of impress him and impress the people in the room. She poured out what she had upon the feet of Jesus, not even anoint his head with it. She didn't even feel that she could approach that uh, level with Jesus. She poured it out on his feet. And it just got me thinking as I think about this worship, um, this, this picture of wholehearted worship. Are you seeking out Jesus? Am I seeking out Jesus with everything that I am? This is not just a question for brand new baby Christians or people exploring faith. This is a question for every single person in this room. No matter how long you've been following after the Lord, are you continuing to seek after Jesus? Mm. 
And sometimes people will say, well, you know, that seems like such an obscure question. You know, what does that even mean? And, and I will always go back. I have the same answer to that all the time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find out who Jesus is. That's the red letters. That is the gospel. Start in the book of Mark. Start in the book of Luke. Luke, we're going through Luke right now. Go back through these red letters series. Get in the word of God. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I think our church needs to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I don't know. Every single week, uh, the teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Let's, let's go after Jesus and let's seek him out like this woman did. Are we courageously worshiping Jesus? And I know everyone's probably thinking, oh, yes, the worship pastor asking us to sing louder, not pastor, director. Um, I'm not asking you to sing louder in worship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a picture of wholehearted worship. Now, I will say this, that worshiping the Lord through song does something powerful. And I believe that, like I talked about those those nets of grace being dropped in our thinking patterns, worshiping the Lord helps adjust those thinking patterns mm. and correct those thinking patterns. So I do think we should be singing out and worshiping the Lord, but I'm talking about in every aspect of our lives. Are we wholeheartedly, are we courageously worshiping Jesus? Are we worshiping him in the way that we interact with our coworkers? Are we worshiping him in the way that we interact in our schools? Are we worshiping him as we parent our children? Are we worshiping him as we respond to a spouse that is annoying us? Which never happens to me, <laughs> never. Thank you. But are we worshiping him in our Facebook posts, in the things that we're forwarding, in the way that we text each other, in the way that we talk with our friends? Are we wholeheartedly worshiping Jesus with everything that we are? And are we accepting a role of a servant? That's a really hard question to ask because I don't think, I don't think anybody really, if we're really honest, really likes that posture. But it's the Lord who has to give us that desire in our heart to become a servant in his kingdom. And we need to, to see this picture of this woman who fell at the feet of Jesus as a servant and really assume that posture and say, Lord, make my heart that of a servant, that of one that would fall at your feet and anoint you. And are we giving Christ our best? She gave, she poured out in such a lavish expression to mm. Christ about giving him her best. And so um, I, just, I just love that picture of worship that she brings. Yeah. So we've asked lots of questions, but we wanted to leave you with one last one. Mm which um, I, I believe is probably one of the most important questions you'll ask yourself, and that is, who is Jesus to you? We can see Simon started with, is Jesus a prophet? And then he put it through his formula, decided he wasn't. So then he calls him teacher. But this woman comes and anoints Jesus with her perfume, declaring that he's the king. And uh, wherever Jesus went after that, he would carry this fragrant, fragrance yeah. of the king. And I wonder... Um, who is this Jesus to you, and how are you going to respond? Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe even more than that is, maybe I want to ask you, why are you here? Why have you come to worship today? Mm -hmm. Have you come to worship him as prophet, as teacher, or have you come to worship him as king? Uh, he's the king, friends, and he, uh, he, 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 he needs a proper response from us as his loved ones, coming before him, uh, bowing down, giving him all, serving him, and worshiping him with our whole hearts. We pray that today has been a helpful message to you, that it challenges us uh, to be like this woman who unashamedly went before her king and worshiped him. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.